Get ready for brilliant people, brilliant ideas, and a regular good time. This is Brilliant Thoughts with Success People editor Tristan Almada, the show that thinks about how personalities, relationships, and communication shape business success. And now here he is, Tristan Almada. In this episode, I'm interviewing a best-selling author. She's absolutely genius. I can't use another word. Just the brilliance that came out of this was it really inspiring for me. Her name is Sai Awakeman. You can find her on Instagram. You can find her everywhere. And we really talked about the process of being able to truly understand duality and understand yourself as a human so you can process information better and at the end start getting along with more people it's such an amazing episode jump in all right everybody welcome back and this time i've got Sai wakeman with me i've got brilliant thoughts of success podcast and i'm excited because i just finished reading her book life's messy live happy let me tell you Sai, this was you had me I was tearing up oh. uh, at, at different parts, and I, and I don't tear up, all right? My son's like, why don't you ever cry? I'm like, I just, nothing ever hits me that way. But oh, this one did, and I'll, I'll tell you where, but I felt like the, the title was great. I just finished the book yesterday, and I loved, I, I felt like the whole book could have been titled, No Ego, and Here Are the Questions. Yeah. And it was just, it was great. I didn't know what to expect, first of all. It's good hearing from you, too, in, as you identify as male, because sometimes people think it's just a chick book. And a lot of the people <laughs> that read it, um, because it has so many of my personal life stories in there, some of the people that have read it that identify as male, they're like, no, this is a human book. It's so true. I, I The very first person I thought of that I'm going to share this with once we're done with the podcast, and your book is out my mom, I was like, oh, this is so good. I'm like, my wife needs to listen to this. My mom needs to read it. My, my wife's an audible person. so she's It's out there. I it. just read it in my yeah. own voice on the audible. So I teared up nice. while reading my own book on audible. That was quite <laughs> the experience. I'm like, oh, I had to start over. <laughs> oh, it's so good. All right. Question for you, just in general, because as I was reading through this, you had some amazing questions that now I'm going to use because you just empowered me through the questions. But I want to know, like, what books do you typically gravitate to reading? Like, what is it fiction, nonfiction? And and do you take notes as you're reading books? So I'm a huge reader. I was one of the few kids, I think, that my parents would threaten to take my books away if I didn't pay attention or come out of my room or... Um, Probably my escape, but I grew up in a tiny little town, so I read a ton. So fiction, nonfiction, and what you'll pick up from my book is I'm a lover of poetry. Rilke, um, David White, I'm obsessed with Mary Oliver. So the books I turn to, and at any given time, I have probably 20 books spread through my house. But the books I turn to are really business books. Um, I love Byron Katie. Mm. Loving What Is is just outstanding. Marianne Williams, Sin, A Course in Miracles, Eckhart Tolle. Um, That's a good one. I listen a lot to podcasts, Sam Harris. Um, Ooh. So a lot of the books I listen to 
are, and I love Tim Ferriss, but a lot of, and I love On Being, anything that On Being puts out, Patrick O'Toole or, um, but for me, I am so fed by authors and written word that those are some of the books I turn to. I have a shelf of books I read every single year, When Things Fall Apart by Pema Chodron. Oh. Um, and do I take notes? I write all over my books. And each year I write in a different color. Oh. Whoa, whoa. Wait, so tell I, me about I have that. a morning reflection. Oh my gosh. I have a morning reflection book called, um, I have to remember it, um, Awakening. And it is by an amazing man. Um, I'll think of it, but um, can I grab it really quick? It's so good. You have to know this book. Yes, go grab that. As you're grabbing it, by the way, I'm looking at, because we're doing a podcast here, but I'm looking at the back of her wall and she's got an amazing okay i was telling everybody about your amazing drawing with the goat and the green truck or oh, the goats the two goats yes <laughs> is that fun that's my um ezra he's an amazing artist here in todos santos the book of awakening by mark nepo i um every year i read this book as a daily um thought reflection book but i don't know if you can see it Every year I write in different colors all over it. Like I write, so then I can kind of know like my journey, like what was important to me. That's brilliant. At another time. Yeah. So these books I read every year, like I have a color of the year. And um, some of my books have like 10 years of notes. That's crazy. All right. That's really fantastic. Because now you're blowing my mind with that. In the At the beginning of the book, do you put like a con- table of contents of what kind co- yeah. <laughs> if I sound obsessive, I'm not, but I, I, yeah, I, in, in fact, a lot of times I will put a podcast I love through a transcription service because I love the written word and I love the environment too, but this is how I feed my soul. I love the written word and I love to highlight it and, and write my thoughts on it. And then things I absolutely love, like quotes, I'll even make a copy of the page, I'll cut it out, and I tape them inside my cupboards. So when I wow. am going to get like my salt, I see like awesome. a, um, a note from myself around some beautiful language. Okay, so do you also do that with the questions you ask yourself? You know, that's more my journaling. And so I do journal a lot when I call it breaking up with my ego and breaking up with myself. Mm -hmm. Like I ask a question to get out of the hold of my ego to loosen the ego's grip. So I meet stressful thoughts with inquiry. Is that true? Can I possibly know that to be true? You know, uh, what Uh do I know for sure? Like I use these if I'm having thoughts that are stressful, I'll write the thought down because writing it down gets it out of the hands of your ego. And I write it down so that I break all that spinning. And then I apply questions to um, that belief or that, that thought, you know, what do I know for sure? And what could I do next to help? Or I have really good new questions too, but um, a lot of times I come up with good questions. I write those down too. Do you have a journal just for questions, like a questions journal? That would be awesome. No, I don't. Okay. So the very first thing I thought of, because uh, I, I took so many notes on your book, by the way, I started first, 
I started on my iPad, right? And I started taking notes and then I'm like, hold on just a second. Then I went over and I shifted over to my Remarkable, right? And then I shifted oh. it over because I have to ask you questions here to my notebook. So I have them in three different places right now. I love it. A journal for just one's questions would be such a wonderful um, reflection because it could be like your go-to book when you're stressed. Yeah. yeah. So I thought of you. I was like, that's good. And when you said you, you cut out these little inspirational quotes and you put them like where the salt is or that you could do the same thing with questions. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. To keep them visible. The ego loves to keep things ambiguous and the ego is not all bad. The ego is, we need to love that part of us too. However, like the, the, um, if it's in your head, it will spin you. The ego loves that ambiguity. But when you get something out conscious and visible, mm -hmm. then you can get intentional. But until you have some level of separation, that's why like in internal family system therapy, we name the part of you or like we want to get it away from um, being blended with who you think you are so that your true self can look at your true reality and realize that it's all pretty glorious. All right. On that, because now I'm now I'm like a lot of the pieces of the book are coming back to that duality. You mentioned that a few times. Now they're friends. Uh, now they're friends. I was gonna say, <laughs> when you're when you're making it conscious and visible, how how do we begin to stop labeling it, it initially as good or bad so that we can we can make better decisions. How do we start that process? So when you ask a good question, so a not a good question, should I leave or should I stay? That's duality. It's so like when you ask a good question about what does my soul crave, it can't get in duality because it's just a complex answer. Like multiple things can be true at the same time. I crave being alone and in solitude and companionship. So putting something out to be intentional is the first step, ensuring that it expands us rather than um, defines us is kind of the second step. So for those listeners, what's duality? If you want to live really content in the imperfect world, there's two things specifically to get really good at. One is duality. Be very slow to name anything externally. It is whether it's good or bad, um, be curious one minute longer. The minute mm -hmm. we name something, we have limited our relationship with it. And we've gotten into some very primitive dances. If I label it as bad, I need to fear, flight, you know, fawn, freeze. If I label it as good, I need to grab on, hold, preserve, defend. The, the naming of something in external really um, is difficult for us. The, the, Things I like to get out vis visual and, and apply reflection or contemplation to is what evolves me. And that's where it's like I can be in the mystery, not the mastery. And so a lot of times I'll have something I've gotten on my cupboard and it's there for a year because as I reflect every day, I get another data point. And that's what really keeps me curious. So let's say you pick me up to go to lunch and I get in your car and you have a lot of things around. You tend to travel with a lot of things. And the minute I name that as messy and disorganized, 
I've separated out from you because I prefer order. And then I start attributing and connecting things that probably aren't true. He doesn't care about his possessions. He um, is a scattered person. He probably isn't successful. He like doesn't take time. Like I can just attach this means that. Mm -hmm. And suddenly I'm going to lunch with somebody that, I don't even have a lot of questions for it because I don't respect because I already labeled them as yeah. not having anything for me because they're messy. I'm taking it to the extreme. No, no, I, I love that. But if I get in your if I get in your car and I'm like, oh, he travels with more things than I. Do you hear the neutral language? Mm -hmm. Like I don't travel with much. You travel with more things than I. Then I can build out my view of you. Um, it could be that I'm curious about this guy. He, is he involved in a lot of things that limits his time and running from one thing to the next? What are those things? Is he perhaps borrowing a car from someone else? And I'd love to learn about how he develops relationships so good that people um, lend him cars. Like, that's cool. Like, and it's not just toxic positivity. It really is saying, when I'm about to close down, what if I stayed open with my heart and my mind? What could I walk away from this connection as evolved or expanded? So being willing to be in the mystery and evolved by the experience rather than focus on the mastery and predetermining whether I like this person or not. I like that a lot. And it feels like we need to, from, from just reading it and listening to you, we need to stay in more of a curious place longer to find the opportunities. Yes. yes. We limit our world. Um, one, we avoid the mess. If it gets messy, we're like, we're out. And we don't stay curious. And the life, the life is in the mess. Yeah. Like, that's where the energy is. That's where the stuff is. When people tell me, like, they feel like their life is a little bland. Or I'm like, then stop avoiding the mess. That's so true. You know? It, but it takes vulnerability to get out, like, in the mess. Like, there's no test you can pass in the mess. You are sure to not do it perfectly. Like you will move through that pretty imperfectly, but the book helps you move through it skillfully. It does. I could totally, you know what? I, I There was a, a few parts in the book that I kept on thinking to, have you read Matthew McConaughey's book, Greenlight? Oh, I listened. Okay. That is one book you have, you to, have to listen, listen to, that one too. to because his, it's like a, a one or a one person um play it's amazing oh, okay amazing. so i love that he's like you never know if it's a green light or right? red light that was that's what you were saying too in it and i was like i kept on going back to that because you you mentioned if we've already made up your our minds about categorizing something right and not open up to multiple truths which i love that then at that point you've already lost it's like that that's the problem with and there you go problem with well, that's the challenge that we have with our current world right? We've all made up our mind as to, oh, you're, you're that, you're that, you're a mask lover. You're not a mask lover, right? Or you're, you're this religion. You're not this. All of a sudden it, it creates problems that we don't need. And conflict resolution, the experts would tell you happens in the complexity and the closeness. Conflict resolution cannot happen between two simplified groups. Now the, 
every part serves us that is inside of us. Like every part serves us. The reason we get into duality is that we don't like this thing called cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance is we see something in the world that doesn't match what we know and it's confusing. You're like, boom, mind blown or at least challenged. And when we were surviving, we wanted clear answers. If I am a prehistoric person and I'm a mile from a water hole and I meet another prehistoric person, I want to ask them, is there water in the water hole? And I want a dang clear answer because I'm trying to decide whether I'm going to walk a mile to get water. Like I need to balance my very, um, you know, scarce uh, calories. So if somebody answers me truthfully, which is there is water in the water hole and there is not water in the water hole, in that moment, it's not helpful. True. There's water. And then there are things that are not water. Yeah. There's rocks and there's water. So if they're like, you know, <laughs> you want to know the absolute truth, there's water and there's not water. Yeah. That's, I'm like, that is not helpful. That isn't. And so we move through the world as if we're survival, um, right, on, you know, on the survival path, but we're not. The best thing you can do if you want to be really content in the messy world is transcend duality, it must be one or the other, and just be like, multiple things are true. So that's, so here's, I was reading that, and I agree with you 100%. But then I find that the challenges that I face through people I know, friends, is that they don't see the world that way. And the very first thing that comes in, in between that, for some reason, for a lot of people, is religion, Right. Yeah. And and I see that all the time. Right? And I'm I'm thinking it's like how is it that we can bring both worlds together because I know that there are amazingly religious people who who are you know what there are multiple truths, right? You're just you're just who you are and and that's a challenge I see in the current world we live in and in the past. Can you help me understand because the one the one phrase i'm looking at it right now because i took notes on this that is it dialectical behavior therapy i kept on going back to that because you said one of the key concepts there is helping people recognize and live successfully in a world where many things are true at the same time yeah that's one of the things we teach cbt is like surface dbt is kind of like walk through the world different level and then the real breakthrough is when you realize that you are um, a rigid hypocrite and a loving Christian Muslim like because your self-compassion can bring you to greater um, compassion and a lot of times we have divided the egos divided the world up and again I'm not anti-ego I just want you to recognize that's one part of you the egos divided the world up into you know um you know, Christian and not Christian and Muslims and not Muslims or, you know, um, Jewish or not Jewish or Buddhist or, and what happens with that is the minute I name you to save myself any harm or vulnerability, I bring a well-worn story in about you. So when people are like, but which camp are you in? I'm like, well, let's question. What if there's only one camp Mm -hmm. and we're all in it? Like we're all in the human race. So one of the things we do is we're like, I want other people to behave differently. And the one thing I can tell you to get other people to do that is for you to move through the world differently. And we 
are alchemists. We can manage the energy of other people. And so it just happened this last week that um, we I was in a new group and people ask me like what faith I have. Oh. And I just answered a, a, a disruptive answer. I said, I have faith that humans are inherently good. Oh, yeah. That was in your book. I was like, ooh, that was so good. And everybody was just like, what? And I said, um, what do you believe about humans? And I just took it away from the Christian, Jewish, Muslim. Now, it may not go there. People may clamp that back down. But my job is to um, interrupt. And my job is to manage the energy away from what divides us to what brings us together without telling people what to do. So someone was very clearly um, believing their, um, their thoughts about Christianity. And instead of saying, I'm not that or I am that, mm-hmm. I just said, one of the things I love is your passion about um, this topic and your courage to bring it up. Thank you. And again, people were just like interrupted. I can't change people's behavior, but I can at least not participate in a predictable way in the traditional line where we're, we may be going. That, I'm trying to find it on my notes because... You did. You did that same thing, and I've. I felt. So- Was it with my sister when when she wanted to talk trash on my it, brother? That yes, because then you you took that to a whole different level that we can apply to business and just our personal life. Absolutely. Where you interrupted with a set of questions. You say when you hear somebody talking bad about somebody else, I was like. Oh, I felt so bad because I'm like, oh, sometimes I talk bad about some people. And I'm like, we all do. Let's like all be out there. Like the quicker we can stop pretending that we aren't all that, which you are like, we are of the same source. We are the same. We have the same behaviors and they're protective behaviors. We got to give people for doing what they're trying to do to protect themselves in scary times. We don't have to tolerate it. We don't have to um, enable it. But we can can do something different. My favorite thing to do when people are going towards a negative is say a true positive. Make a firm affirmation of um, what I believe about the person being talked about or about the situation or about the future. Mm-hmm. I love to help hope make a comeback. Yeah. And then I redirect the energy instead of colluding. I jump in. And my favorite question is, oh, my gosh, what? Should we be doing the help? Yes, that was the one. You know, in in a uh, a gathering as we're getting back together, you know, people are like, "Oh, did you hear that Matt and, and Damien divorced during the pandemic?" And people want to hear the scoop. And instead, I'm like, "Oh my gosh, I love both of them." Positive statement. I love them so much. They've helped me in my own relationship so much. Such good people. And then instead of like dogging them, I'm like. Is there anything we should be doing to help? I have an idea. I think I'll reach out to both of them and let them know that their divorce doesn't need to divide me as a friend and just see how I can move forward with that. And I just name my reality and my intentions. I don't try and change anybody else if I'm on a good day. Um, but that changes the whole energy yeah. and it opens up a portal that people didn't see in the moment. And that's all we can do for folks. I can't change you, but I can make an invitation. You know, one of the things I didn't talk about in the book is how often we get into conversations that are exhausting. Oh. We've had them for years. We have found no yes. comfort. We found no conclusion. And David White introduced me to this idea. He's a fabulous poet, um, 
and he has these three Sundays um, series you can subscribe to every month. But he said, notice when you're involved in a conversation that's exhausting mm -hmm. and do something revolutionary. Just end the conversation and begin a new one. End the conversation and begin a new one. Kind of what you just, you didn't even let that conversation start as when they asked you about religion. You just shifted it. Shifted. But how many of us in our relationships have had conversations about, I feel underappreciated, right? For ah, instance. Oh, yes. And so, one, if we got into that and one of us caught each other, er, you know, caught ourselves and said, oh, sweetheart, so not how I want to spend our time together. Can I invite you to a new conversation? I'm feeling vulnerable right now. And I know that you appreciate me. And I somehow think that you expressing that will make me less tired. But can we just go lay down and like cuddle? Mm -hmm. you know, or at work, like IT sucks. Like, can we just end that conversation <laughs> and start asking how we can better understand the decisions IT makes? Because if they rolled out a system with zero defects, it would never even be competitive. It would take so long, it would be like diminishing returns. Can we, can we move into a different conversation about our colleagues in IT? I think the power we have right now is not leading people, it's managing the energy of people. And we mm. can manage energy mm. by saying, as for me and mine, I have a lot of hope for what's happening right now. I am so sad that people have had to scream at us about racism for thousands of years. I'm so sad about it. And what I can do today is say, I'm going to sit right here and, you know, teach me. Can we just begin a new conversation? How can I move forward in a different way? That starts with some type of awareness for, for the self, though. How, yeah. how is it that we get there? Because it reminds me, our, one of our very first interviews in this podcast was uh, T.D. Jakes, the Bishop T.D. Bishop Jakes. And he said, Tristan, you know, everything that comes to, everything good that comes into your life starts with humility. And yeah. And what I noticed, you said something similar, but you gave me another branch and you said, look, it starts with humility, but it actually starts with gratitude so you can get to humility. And I thought, yeah. holy cow, I'm going to add that to something that I'm going to talk about now. So how do we get to gratitude, though? It's so important. You know, so much of us gets ex identified with the external world, and we just don't notice even when we feel uncomfortable or when we feel in awe, or we just don't realize what we need to bring to the table. Beauty, the flower grew, but beauty cannot exist until a reciprocal relationship happens where I behold the beauty. The beauty requires an offering and a beholding. And most of us are underperforming in our part of the equation, right? So gratitude, we underperform in gratitude. We just score keep. I very quickly look through my day's happenings if I make a gratitude journal and I judge them. I liked this. I didn't like this. Now, in the beginning, just even noticing positive things changes you. It's the first baby step. And it was for me. Like I missed quite a few things that I needed to be grateful for. Like 
that my food is put in front of me and I didn't prepare it. Like I needed to just take a moment and practice gratitude. But the ego will morph your practices. So I started to get really superstitious. I would make a list of my gratitude every day. If I go to bed, I would get up and I'd be like, no, I got to write my gratitude list. And I started to notice that in a weird way, it was like bargaining with the universe. I was like, universe, I gave you proper appreciation. I would like a little more of that. Like, and something didn't make my list. I'm rejecting that. And what I started to realize is that I was using a lot of judgment, not humility, judgment to denote my gratitude list. And it ignored my privilege. And then I was asked me on the interview, mm. similar to this one, the woman wanted to talk about like, how have you been successful where other people haven't? And like, where did you zig when other people zagged? Mm -hmm. And like, how are you such a genius? And I felt so um, lacking in authenticity as I prepared her answers. I wanted to say like, but for the grace of God, go I. Like, so much of what has happened for me was because someone made an introduction or opened a door or I just lucked out or, um, and th that was visible help. And then there's all this invisible help I don't even know about, you know, where somebody canceled, you know, a place in the class that I got. Like, there's just... And so as I started to talk to her, I'm like, I would have to revise history to claim this as my success story. <laughs> right? I would have to lie. True. And it was a horrible interview. She never aired it. She was just oh, like, no. I want success stories. Right? That's funny. It, she wasn't ready. So I really started to look at my gratitude because I started to realize that a lot of things happened in my day that didn't make my list. Mm -hmm. And I got uncomfortable because if you're only counting your blessings – you will not be involved by what's happening to you. You will be mm. out in the world keeping score and your happiness is based on the score that day. But if you sit back and you go, you know what? I want to acknowledge what I've been given, but I want to be evolved by all of it. So I went from counting my blessings to counting everything as a blessing. Okay. I love that. And that takes a lot of work. So I would write down my gratitude list. First of all, I'd write down the highlights of my day, yeah. good and bad. I'm making air quotes. Okay. Then I would write down my gratitude list and would look at the difference. Mm -hmm. And my gratitude list was what my ego preferred, yeah. what my short-sightedness thought was in my favor. It ruled out any invisible help, any universe, any God, any privilege it rolled all of that mm -hmm. out it was just like here's what i created in the world that i deserve so i started to look at the gap between what i counted and what happened yeah. and i started to work that gap so i could be evolved by it did something seem negative but in the short term how could i know with perspective we've all seen where rejection is just redirection was there something on there that either I didn't have the perspective or, um, or it was another presentation of where I overfunctioned or didn't set boundaries. Was there a beautiful lesson in there for me? Was it something trying to humble me? Is it a source of my humility? Is it an opportunity for me to have self-compassion or self-forgiveness? Is it an opportunity for me to join the human race? 
you know, I didn't, you know, I wanted blue Rothy's and they discontinue them. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, seriously, first of all, problem, right? Like, is it an opportunity for me to join the human race? And what I started to see when I used my gratitude to see where my privilege was, um, it fueled my generosity because then I started to give away what I had been given and it became this very energetic cycle. But first I had to be evolved by it. And then I had to look at what was on my gratitude list that had nothing to do with me, that I was just gifted. And that's where I really found the use for my gratitude is what I have been gifted. I love books. I didn't have a lot of books as a kid. I was six of seven kids. By the time the books got to me after four brothers, who knows what had happened to them you know, in the process <laughs> right. of like being ripped and torn. I discovered the library and felt like I had won life's lottery. There was so many books, but the library had a rule. You could only check out if you were little, like I was like five years old, like one book a week. Mm -hmm. I felt like I would starve. And after a while, the librarians called me over and they said, Sai, we notice you take care of these books. We notice you love reading. We're going to change your rule for you. We're going to give you five books a week. Mm. Now, this is a small town. The moms all talked. Yeah. I was being loved knowing what my home situation was. People in our little town kind of assigned a kid to each family yeah, yeah. to give extra love to. And these librarians gave that to me. When people ask me, you know, like, how did you become an author? I never intended to become an author, but it was my escape and it was how I was helped. Later on, I was asked to be on a board. I'm like, I don't do boards. I will help you in a hundred ways. But sitting and listening to finances, just not Cy Wakeman's <laughs> strongest suit to bring forward. And they said, well, you might want to reconsider this board. Make sure that a kid is called Infinite Bookshelves, right? Mm -hmm. Make sure a kid has a book at home every school night, five nights a week. I'm like, five books a week? I think I have to get involved. Oh, wow. And so by acknowledging your privilege brings you humility, makes you a much more generous person. Wow. Almost. It's like you were, uh, have you read Matilda or watched the movie, The Kid by a. I have. It reminds me of Is Matilda. Well, she's an avid reader, but she has magic. It's super cute. It just reminded me of you as a kid of oh, five I'm gonna years watch old. It. So. That's so cute. Oh, I was totally into books. So interesting. You know, I, I, I was taking notes as you're talking about this gratitude approach and it's in your book too. And you made me look at gratitude differently because I was looking at it the same way as you were previously looking at it, which is, well, what are all the good things in my life? Right? Not just what are the things. And I thought yesterday I was thinking through this and I thought we, we've heard of what is a toxic positivity or something along. Yeah. But this is almost in, in the same region, which is like toxic gratitude, but we don't even realize it. Right. And I was like, holy cow. So you got me thinking in a new direction, which I loved. I loved it. Oh, I, I love that. You know, we talk a lot about toxic this or toxic that. When things get morphed by the ego to not hit you in your heart or um, breathe into your soul, and they just spin externally. So, oh, I see something positive and make your gratitude list. And it never enters you. 
you don't ever embody it. You keep it all external. That's when things get toxic. Like, you know, I see something bad happen in the world. And like, well, you know what? I'm just going to manifest something good for the person. Now, manifesting, I think, probably works. However, it is we need to come at that from an internal place. We need to use our breath to breathe in our feelings. We need to use contemplation and reflection and meditation and solitude to notice what's going on internally. Mm-hmm. You know, Guder said, if you can learn to trust yourself, you'll know how to live. When it gets toxic, it's because our ego has grabbed onto it and just kind of morphs it um, externally. Got it. All right. I, I love that. Now I want to shift because this, the book, the, the part that I loved about the book was not only the questions and there was a lot of, you're very philosophical and I love that, but you also put in a lot of personal stories and you made the book. I did this time. You made the book just flow so naturally. There was one question I had, because I don't know if I got the answer in the book. When your first husband dove into the pool and what was it like fractured his neck? Yeah. C five, six and seven. All right. So I, I didn't get the details after that. And I'm like, what happened? I want to know like, what happened? because you, you helped, uh-huh. you dove in, you helped him. And then I dove in, I saved him. I got him out. We called, um, obviously 911. We had an amazing medical team. We were, um, in Sioux City, Iowa, the trauma center came out. They cooled him down. You know, they did all that. He did not sever his spine. Um, he went through, um, a lot of rehabilitation and a caution I would just have out there for your listeners at the time, this has been, you know, 15 years ago, they were really focused on his neck repair and he had hit his head and they didn't know really talk to me all about head injury. And now we're learning so much more about head injuries, but he had injured his right front cortex, um, cortical region. And it really changed our relationship and his ability to trust and, and his anger and some of his, um, you know, firefighters, we call them in internal family therapy that came with addiction and other stuff to try and protect him really damaged our family in a heartbreaking way. So we, the boys and I did our best to stay with him and help him recover. And I cannot tell you the hardest decision I've ever made in my life is, um, to, you know, to leave a marriage mm-hmm. that just didn't seem to be workable after 20 years. So he is um, recovered and, um, you know, he has lingering effects, but is um, doing well and involved in the boys' life and um, but very difficult um, situation. Yeah, I, See, that's the part I want. You didn't add that in the book, right? Or did I miss it completely? So part of it, I didn't put it in the book. Part of it is out of respect for him. Um, Even as I talked about, unfortunately, my second divorce, I left so much out out of respect, you know, for him. Like there were felony charges. I mean, there was just, so what, what I wanted the book to be was not a memoir and a tell all. Mm -hmm. I wanted the book to be not a story about what's happened to me, but a story about what, um, 
how I, how I was able to evolve or how the lessons I learned, like when they first asked me to write the book, they're like, write a book about how people should live during the pandemic. And I'm like, I'm not going to write that book. I'm going to write a book. It's too preachy. It's not me. I'm going to write a book on how I have lived through difficult times. And if it resonates with you, do it. But that's why, like, even when I talked about my sister passed away recently, you know, and her alcoholism, I didn't put in there like, She's an alcoholic. If you know anybody around her, you would say that's probably a reasonable diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, because it wasn't a book to character defect others. And I wanted to be very careful as a counselor background that I didn't share other people's reality. Um, yeah. I also have four sons, right? Mm-hmm. That they need a great relationship. Every kid needs their both their parents and many more. Um and so I didn't want the book to become about poor side, you know, because I've been through extreme things. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to become how to live content in the imperfect world. If you're human, there's it's messy. It's yeah. super messy. And that's definitely and the message we, I got. Yeah. So that's why I didn't go into like super um, detail, but um, just enough to give people a hint of what happened. And then they can insert their own stuff. I don't want them to identify with my life. Mm-hmm. I want them to read the story and then reflect on their life if it's helpful. Yeah, I love that. And here's one part of the book that I think can resonate with anybody who reads it. A lot of our listeners are entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, right? And that's why I love this book, by the way, because it's like, well, you guys get ready because this is different. It's going to challenge you in a good way. But there's one piece that I want to read to you, and then I'll tell you. And the book No Ego, too, will challenge your entrepreneurs. Oh, they need to read yes, that. Yes, I have to, I have to pick that one up. Book, but anyway, yeah, no problem. But go ahead. So, so you put this. What do you think is the part? You put, when gratitude is based on current value or appearance, happiness will always be or will always depend on the external circumstances. And the very first thing that I thought of was that I talked to so many different people that that relates success to the financial gain. And, and that's totally. where the anxiety and the, the sadness and then that whole depression comes from. And I was like, that's, that was beautiful. That, I highlighted that and wrote that over. You know how you were like, I'm going to put that over here. And I, I love that. that so that was so key because this is how, this is how we live as entrepreneurs. We can't separate. Yeah. It's so hard. It's like, Oh, we're not making money this month. And, and I live it, right? I'm watching this happen and I've felt it. How do we start separating from that? So most of us became entrepreneurs because we want control over our own dang life. And when I became an entrepreneur, I'm a founder, I'm a company owner. I've been in business for myself for over 20 years. And um, when I left my job, my boss is like, you be careful. You're going to make what you're worth. And like, I'm counting <laughs> on that. Like I'm going to like make what I'm worth, right? But we have to be very careful to not outsource our well-being. So we became an entrepreneur to not give control over our destiny to other people. Yeah. And the first thing we do is we outsource our well-being. How am I doing today? I don't know. Let me check sales. How am I doing today? I don't know. Let me check the bank account or let me check you know, in this moment whether my contract um, that I bid said yes or no. That's completely outsourcing your well-being. You are dependent upon... A, a small point in time with zero perspective 
you know, and for me, like leaving a relationship, I'm like, what if that's my one chance at love? And I'm like, well, wait a minute. I'm involved in these relationships. I'm co-creating. I'm pretty loving. I'm pretty sure I can create love with other people. Like, like what? And so for entrepreneurs, what we tend to do is we don't go within. We go outside to check our metrics to see how we're doing. And that then becomes the story of desperation. I have to do something big instead of incremental. And we all know incremental disciplined habits, dedications are the way. And a lot of times we're asking the wrong question. I talk to entrepreneurs who are like, well, should I go another year or should I get out of the business? And, and I'm like, that's the wrong question. Should I say, should I go? Should, problem. You're looking to your conditioning. What would others do? What do other people think I should do? Should I say or should I go? You have a great week, you stay. You have a bad week, you think you should go. <laughs> it keeps you in limbo and ambivalent. A better question is internal. Am I fulfilled? That should be your only metric. Mm. Am I fulfilled? Because when you're fulfilled, I promise you, the help, invisible, invisible will come. It's not voodoo. The when you're fulfilled, you will figure out how to adjust your model. When you're fulfilled, you are curious and open. When you're doing your internal work, you can be shaped by the world, and there's plenty of need for you and yourself out there. So I had to ask myself, like, what's my soul crave? Am I, am I fulfilled? And if I'm not, what's my soul crave? And get very clear on that. And then once I'm clear, go ask, you know, for what I need. And whether it be for myself, my partners, and then believe the answer. If the answer is like, we don't want your blue shoes that you're selling, mm -hmm. like listen to the answer. But the questions get even better. For me, I knew a long time what I would be fulfilled by, and I didn't do it. I had to ask myself, why? What am I scared mm -hmm. of? And a lot for me was I was scared of what people would think of mm -hmm. me. So I came upon a new question. Am I willing for people to be wrong about me to live the life I want to live? Mm, so good. And another question was, um, uh, I mean, there's just so many questions, but most people in entrepreneurs, they get transactional instead of transformational. Mm. As an entrepreneur, you stepped in a world where you have to do your own inner work or the world will bounce you around. There's no corporate structures to kind of keep you in place. You're in a big ping pong um, tournament. And if you don't get that, entrepreneurs more than anybody else need internal core work. They need reflection and meditation and daily habits and um, physicality and dedications. Um, and then they evolve themselves internally. And then as they move through the world, their, their products, their services will be um, welcomed by others. Well, that's because that question, am I fulfilled? What I noticed as I dwelled on it more, what it, it, it you start asking deeper questions and it, it identifies your priorities. Like what's really important to me? What do I value the most? And that was such a great question, by the way, such an amazing question. Thank you. We do that a lot. Like I'm an entrepreneur and people are like, oh, online training is the way to go. You should take all your stuff and put it in these, you know, Kajabi courses. Cool program. Um, when I when I think it, I'm like, oh, go do it. When I put in a lot of the work, I'm like, not the profit margin I thought. And I hate it. <laughs> I absolutely hate program administration. I like connection. 
So if I ask myself, should I go into online courses? That's not fulfilling for me. So my answer is a quick no. Mm -hmm. But the haunting is, well, everybody's doing it and I should do it. And it's the way of the future. You know, the way of the future for a while, I worked with Gary Vaynerchuk was putting everything, you know, out there kind of online and living these like vlogs. And it worked for our brand. It was genius at the mm -hmm. time. I loved it. I was very fulfilled. And then I started wanting to live more of a private life and not put everything on Instagram. Mm, got it. And everybody was like, sigh, you have to put everything out there. People love hearing from you. And I'm like, well, can I put a garden, gated garden up where they can come here for me differently? Mm -hmm. And people are like, no, you know, here's what you need to do. I asked the question, when I get up in the morning, do I go, oh, my God, I got to get a cup of coffee and get something on Instagram because I love that stuff. And the answer is no. That's so good. I want to get up, get a cup of coffee, and go look at the ocean and watch the whales. <laughs> I, I noticed that from your book. Well, Sai, you might you might miss out on something. You know what? I believe in a universe that will call me twice. Mm. Like I heart, I don't think the universe ever is like I'm not superstitious anymore. Like oh, you weren't at that dinner, so you'll never get that deal. I'm like I'm pretty sure the universe is kinder than that. I can stay in my jammies. And keep doing well for people and ask for what I need and I'll get the deal if it's meant for me. If I knew the first 20 years as an entrepreneur, I didn't have to work that hard externally. I just had to work intently internally and I would have ended up in a far more successful place. That's the illusion. I wish I had known earlier. Well, that's because our environment is always pushing that you have to do this, you have to do that. And when you... Yeah, the hustle right, the thing, hustle. that was good in the beginning, and now ego has corrupted that. Yeah. The ego took that and said, oh, let me torture you with that. It's interesting, right? Like, work on things to make you, instead of work on you to make you. You got it. Very interesting. All right, so- I don't even want to admit, I like- I slop my way through life now, and my business is profoundly successful. So tell me about your business. I want to know. What, what does that include? Sure, sure. So I started, I was a leader, and I was a counselor um, back in the day, a therapist. And when I heard leadership development training, I'm like, none of that is evidence-based. It's very codependent. It's like pop culture, but it's not tied to human behavior. And what we know from spirituality and from neurology and psychology and so we would go to those classes, but as I became a leader, I would teach my team differently. And then it went viral before there was internet. People would come and they're like, can I put my people through your informal course at the hospital? Um, and I started research drama in the workplace, mm. um, emotional waste. And how do you get rid of waste? Good processes. How do you get rid of emotional waste? Good mental mm. processes. Mm -hmm. And I started to identify and quantify the average person, a good performer, a great business person, spends two and a half hours a day in drama, suffering needlessly. Same situation. You can go through joy or misery, your choice. That's 816 hours a year. Now, if I told every entrepreneur listening to you that every one of their staff members and themselves could conserve 816 hours of energy and put it towards creation and put it towards relationship building, put it towards customer delight... They would think I was a genius, and that's what I did for my team. And because I was in healthcare and academics, I got to do the research, 
And I started to come up with some very different ways to lead. I call it modern leadership. Mm -hmm. And it's um, the role of a leader as energy manager and the role of a leader as drama translator. People are like, we got three projects dumped on us. Mm. I'm like, we have three new projects. Let's talk about how we put those in our project management methodology. Like just how you manage your energy and the energy of others. And I've, you know, had a fantastic career. So we do tons of keynotes every year we do research, but I have a team that does training leadership and employee training based on these models. We have trained the trainer programs. You can come get certified. What's the website Um, to that? That's realitybasedleadership.com. Realitybasedleadership.com. And even though we're still out on social media, uh, my team does a wonderful job. I just don't do all of it. It's at Cy Wakeman. But if you go to realitybasedleadership.com, there's a newsletter you can sign up for. And we don't sell you stuff. But we have found the algorithms a little tricky right now in all of the social media space to be able to reach our audience. Mm -hmm. So we're back to the newsletter model. Um, where people can hear from us. Can Ooh, we put clips like in there that. that you can share with your teams? It's it's pure co- fire content that you normally would get on social. Um, but And we've got the No Ego podcast as well. I'll put so that in the notes. For your entrepreneurs, if you go back to season one to No Ego podcast, you'll get all the free training Ooh, you want. Don't tell my team I won't tell, tell, tell anybody except everybody here. <laughs> 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 all right. Last yeah. thing I want to add here. The part that made me tear up in your book was was when you brought up the immigrant from Africa with the six year old, oh. and I was like, because I have a I have a fifteen year old and a ten year old, and I could think if I if I were to lose my ten year old, I would think, I mean, tease, right? What what about all those times I could have spent with him as he got older? And I loved. And I'm going to let you tell it, but I loved his approach to how he wanted to remember his his child. Mm-hmm. And can you tell me that story, please? Sure. Um, I write in the book a lot about um, getting skilled at heartbreak, um, which is just the difference between loving big and letting go and grief and death, because I think we're so unskilled around death. But I was a social worker in a hospital early in my career, and a gentleman had, um, his daughter came in after a bike accident. She was hit on her bike while riding in a cul-de-sac, safest place ever, and was killed. And when he was in, and everyone was helping him through that, he didn't seem like he was grieving, like in an American way. Mm-hmm. They didn't really put together the culture, but they wanted me to check on him because they just were that he was in shock. So I made a home visit. I went out to his house and I just asked him how he was doing. And I said, you know, some of the people at the hospital were a little concerned about your lack of like sadness and devastation. And he assured me, he said, that's all there. And it's that part is for me. It's what I will miss seeing her grow up or give her away if she chooses to get married or And he said, but for her, I don't have sadness. He goes, I have actually some joy. And I'm like, what? I'm thinking child abuse, like what? (laughs) And he explained to me in his culture that that if you think about life from zero to 100, and you think about if you could pick six years of that life to live, okay, you only get six. And they're consecutive. Wouldn't you pick the first six years of life? 
Like you're born and you're totally nurtured and your chubby legs are loved and you're the center of attention and you've had no hardship and you've had no heartbreak and no one's ever rejected you and you've never flunked a test. And he said, given the facts that if my child got to live six years here on earth, she got to live the best six years, there was never one hardship in her life. Why wouldn't I as a parent be joyful? Only the selfish part of me is grieving what I won't have with her. It's just illusion if I think I'm grieving what she wouldn't have. Like she got the best part of life. Who wouldn't want to come and now that isn't to bypass your grief for those of you. Some of you are like, I've lost a child and F you. Like, not my purpose. Yeah. My purpose is to bump up against what if, not the answer. What if there was a part of that that you could feel two things at once? A lot of us, if we're grieving for a lost child, any point of joy we feel is betrayal to the grief yeah. we have for the child. Like they like, can't coexist, What if right? you could, yeah. What if you can have multiple mm, feelings? Yes. And, you know, so much of what um, has been taught to me by people as they pass, we tend to forget that especially later in age, that's a development stage that is important as adolescence and early adult. When you're dying, not just actively, it's a development stage. You get to evolve into how to do closure and, and grow in how you conclude things and how you make sense of things and mm. how you resolve mm -hmm. things. And a lot of us skip that development stage, but being with people in all phases of letting go relationships or during death, if we can master that, I've kind of feel like I've had, an, I know I've had near death experience. I feel like I've mastered that fear of death. It changes how you live. I think it was Ram Das said, if I knew I was going to die tomorrow, I'd live with an open mind and open mm. heart. And if I knew I was going to live tomorrow, I would live with an open mind and open heart. <laughs> That's funny. And the point of that, and I, I butchered that quote, but the point of that is, use the knowledge of the impermanence of being here on this planet to do more than look at your sales projections one more time. Yeah. Those sales will happen with or without you, I promise. But it's so challenging for a lot of people to get to that place where they're not looking at those things. What's the transition? What's the key to transition? Does it really go back to gratitude identifying and going back to saying hey am i fulfilled and then starting that process or where do we start with that i actually would love people to start with solitude and breath because if i'm asking if i'm fulfilled i'm coming at it intellectually i won't get to the hard mm -hmm. part if you can only sit for one minute in solitude without doing anything without your phone sit one minute mm -hmm. and if you can sit the next day one minute ten seconds do that. And when you sit in solitude, your mind will play you. You'll be being thought. But focus on your breath and follow your breath into your body and notice what the heck is going on there. What aches? Go to that part of your body that's a little tight and don't just believe it's from yesterday's workout. Go there and ask it its name. Ask it like what feeling it is. Like take your breath to go inside and a lot of the things that that people don't have a high tolerance for they go mm. there and they like the tears come and it's overwhelming there's so much pent up and so they're like never going back just build your tolerance go for a minute go for a minute 10 
go for a minute 20, go for a minute 30. Like people need to build their tolerance to, it's like, yeah. I don't like that feeling of a roller coaster where you lose your stomach. Oh, yeah. Like oh, I hate that. <laughs> but having four sons, I've had to build my tolerance up to it, yeah. right? I've had to be like, people need to build their tolerance up for internal um, noticing and curiosity. That's what I would ask people to do. There's so much information in there that we're not accessing that truly will tell you what to do next. And it may be go hug your kid. Mm. And it may be, you know, intuition, call a client. It may be something, but suspect what comes from your head and start to give a little credit to what comes from your body. It's so good. That is so good. I love that. And I think that's where a lot of us really need to grow in that reflection, right? Yeah. And a lot of us haven't grieved. I was working through something and I had such a good coach and she goes, you are in like the, the, um, she learned about in China, there's this finger toy that you put your two fingers in and you pull. And the more you fight it and pull, the more you can't get free. You have to release to get your fingers out. I don't know if it's Chinese by background, but she's like, Sai, you're thinking a lot about this issue. How's that working? I'm like, I'm stuck. And she's like, you're asking a lot of other people to think about this issue. How's that working? I'm like, I'm stuck. She goes, you're in the Chinese toy. And she said, why don't you just stop and grieve? Mm. Stop trying to make it work. Stop figuring it out. Why don't you just sit and grieve? It's time to just sit and grieve that it didn't mm. go as you planned. And you know what? That got me unstuck. We try and overuse our intellect. And the grief, after I grieved it, I was able to just put it down. And if it was meant to be, it was meant to be. I couldn't have done that intellectually. Mm, we tr too many people had done too many people had done me wrong. <laughs> That's so true. And then everything else starts coming in, right? Oh man. And everyone agreed with me, and I was right. And if I had one more conversation with them, they would see it. That's so true. She's like, or you could just grieve. And I did. And once for me, I have a higher tolerance. Like once I started that grieving, I mean, it was days of grieving. Like I was sad a lot. I cried a lot. And it's okay to be there. There, there. There's the duality thing again that we forget that it's okay to do both, right? You can be sad and then happy. Yeah. Your book is awesome. Yeah. How many of you as entrepreneurs do this thing where it's like somebody opens up a meeting and they're like, I just want to share something personally. And we all go, oh my God. <laughs> Like how mean you are to that person. That's how mean you are to yourself. Oh, that's terrible. That's how mean you are. Yeah. So it's been such a pleasure. Tristan. Thank you so much. This is so good. And everyone pick up Cy Wakeman's book. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it on, I'm sure you can find it on the website too. All the yeah. indies. Yep. All the personal books and um, bookstores. We love to support them. Barnes and Noble target. Oh, but it's, um, I would love it if they pre-ordered that helps all of us oh, authors, excellent. you know, raise the buzz. The first it's open for pre-order right Perfect. now helps us get the buzz. And on. I'm on your Instagram. I just followed you, Cy Wakeman and follow her there. It's C Y W A C E M A N. Easy to find her. W A K E M A N. Let me mess it up completely, Sai. And <laughs> <laughs> no that was terrible. We'll help each other. Oh, we'll help each other. Good. We'll put it in the show notes and then I'll, I'll blast it out as well. Sai, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thank you. Those are all the brilliant thoughts that we have for you today. If you like what you're hearing, drop us a review or just tell your friends. 
This has been a success podcast. Head to success.com slash podcast to hear more just like it.